Hi, it's Raina G. Last podcast, we talked about Sharia law. We went through a lot of different aspects of the Quran and what the Quran says about Sharia law because of what we have going on in the United States and all over the world. You, you see everything happening over in the Middle East, driven by unions and, um, and our own agendas, but still driven. Um, our own agendas, unfortunately, have to do with reaching out to the Muslim Brotherhood and Muslims all over the world. If you remember when um, Obama went to Cairo, his first place that he went uh, in the Middle East after he took his so-called oath of office, <clears throat> um, he invited the Muslim Brotherhood to his speech and uh, and reached out to Muslims and said that he would support them doing the things that they need to do according to the Quran. He said in his speeches prior to becoming president that he, if pushed, would always go to the Muslim side um, and support the Muslims versus supporting the United States. That's the part he left out of that sentence. We have a, a severe threat and people are not taking it seriously. It's like they're in denial. It's like little kids being in denial. And of course our whole country is acting like little kids anyway. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second with what's going on with Wisconsin and, and uh, the labor unions across the country, the spoiled little brats who have gotten everything that they asked for and wanted and more, or they think they have, from their union bosses. And, and um, of course, now they're stomping their feet because somebody needs to take some of that away. But back to Sharia and the Muslim Brotherhood, <clears throat> we have, um, I think, more than 400 different outlets in the United States where Hezbollah and Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood are are functioning. And most Americans don't realize that. They think that this is this little religious thing and that they're supposed to tolerate it and, and um, accept it because that's the Constitution says you accept everybody's religion. But Sharia law and the Muslim idea of what's supposed to happen with the Quran worldwide, globally, is, is not religion. It's a belief system, but it's not religion. <laughs> the religion of Islam is to Allah, but <clears throat> um, Islamists mostly are jihadists because the Quran tells them that they are. And until we stop denying this, we are in mortal danger because, um, well, you'll see, come March 3rd, one of the ninth most powerful imams in in uh, the Muslim world is supposedly coming to Washington and trying to get Muslims from all over the world to come to Washington, D.C. Now, why they're being allowed into this country, number one, is is a question in and of itself. But um, to, to preach that Sharia law should be the United States law. And um, he's the one who said that the flag of Islam will someday fly over the White House. Well, if we keep this man who's now in the White House in office, that could very well be true. You saw what happened with Egypt where Obama called out Mubarak. He was allowed to do that because of um, the fact that they want Muslim rule in Egypt. Now, the Egyptians don't want that, so there's going to be a little bit of a fight going on. Many Egyptians do. They believe in Sharia law, 70-something percent. Um, but there's also a, a Coptic Christian population, which nobody ever talks about. 
which is a Christian population. They they kind of live hand in hand with the Muslims, but not really because they're they're oppressed and they're killed by the the jihadist element of the Muslim population, um, which is stronger than what we have been told it is. Because again, <clears throat> if you take surveys of the Egyptian people. Excuse my voice, by the way. It's it's allergy time, and I, as you all know, I do these podcasts outside. And um, this yellow dust is all over my car, and it's in my throat and up my nose. And I'm not really allergic to it, but it does affect my voice for some reason. Um, and the birds are making a lot of noise. So just to kind of accept it, this is a holistic health podcast, even though it's political. And we try to stay in balance with nature and everything around us. So we, we're always out in nature. My office is outside. It's in a screened-in porch that has vinyl windows for the winter. And I freeze sometimes, and I get overheated in the summer. But <clears throat> but I like being outside. Um, you know, I stay barefoot a lot of times so I can touch the ground. And, and uh, I have nature around me. And it reminds me of the balance that we all need to keep, whether that's in the world around us or just in our own little microcosmic world of, of family and home and community. Anyway, so excuse my voice, but um, we have that going on over in Egypt, and then we saw what's going on in Libya this week. And the incompetence of this administration is just beyond me, but there's also <clears throat> a, an element that's not incompetent or even naive. You notice that when Obama finally, after nine days, came out and called out um, Gaddafi, it, it, it wasn't that he mentioned Gaddafi's name. Because, first of all, he and Jeremiah Wright and Gaddafi are all friends. They've visited each other many times and talked about the Muslim world and Muslim Brotherhood and Muslim domination and the Koran and how it fits with black liberation theology. And um, if you you can't get to Jeremiah's Black Liberation Theology websites anymore because they've been scrubbed by the government to make sure that nobody knows. But I've got, I've, I took screenshots of all of them um, prior to the election in 2008 when I knew where Jeremiah Wright was coming from and Gamaliel and all the groups that Obama has trained or worked with in the past. Um, Anyway, so they're friends. That's number one. But but the most important thing was that he Obama was not allowed to call out Gaddafi, because according to the Quran, you cannot slander, and that was that's what it would be, um, a fellow Muslim, because you will be killed. I mean, you have to protect the the, the your fellow Muslims, and Gaddafi is a fellow Muslim, so you can't call him out. Now, what finally gave him permission as of Saturday night to call him out? I don't know. Um, maybe he was given permission by the Imans to go ahead and call him out for the good of, of Islam, for the good of the Muslim Brotherhood, for the good of Muslims all over the world, so that so that their movement would not be impeded by a madman. And, of course, um, Gaddafi is a madman, and so is his son. He's totally... Totally nuts, and people there are pleading for the United States to do something. But they, you know, we have this problem here. Um, I hate, I don't hate, I don't use that word. I don't like listening to, and I refuse most of the time to listen to, Alan Combs, who used to be with Hannity on television, and now he has his own radio show, and he's always on as a as a contributor to all these programs. I can't stand listening to him because he is old anti-war. Um, 
not even isolationist. It's anti-capitalist, anti-war, anti-imperialism, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm not for imperialism. I don't think that we should be in every country in, and telling them what to do or how to live or anything. That's what the Muslims want to do. They want to come here and tell us how to live. But I also know history, and I know that, that we evolve and we change and we grow and we make mistakes and we're just like little kids in the world. This world is millions of years older than we are. And and we make our mistakes and we do do what we can in relationship to um, our knowledge and our perceptions. So World War One we didn't want to get into. But our allies who were really our old masters pleaded for us to do that. So we had flyers especially who who helped the British in World War One. In World War Two, we didn't want to get involved, and we were very anti-Semitic. As a matter of fact, we um, there's an old book I read probably 35, 40 years ago. It's called "While Six Million Died," um, and it was a lot more than six million because they only were counting the Jews who died in World War Two. Because there were Italians under Mussolini. Um, Italians here had to, in the United States, had to show ID, otherwise be incarcerated, to make sure they weren't working with Mussolini. And there were, um, the Japanese, of course, were also interned. And uh, but anyway, there were, while well, Jews were being taken to the camps and, and killed in Germany, in Poland, um, many people wrote to their relatives in the United States and pleaded for help. And the United States was just not, they just did not want to get involved. We never do. And never did. And they, they didn't want to get involved. It was like, no, it's not our war, you know. I mean, we can help you out this way. And, of course, they had the banks who were supporting um, both sides of the war, or all sides of the war, the big bankers who who, um, now cause us so many problems, financed a lot of uh, Hitler's operations and Mussolini's operations, and then financed ours and Britain's, Great Britain's, and um, anything to make money. But as as a people, we didn't want to get involved with war, even though our country started with a war. I mean, our... Our, the country, the United States, not the country itself, but the United States of America started with the revolution and, and it was a war. Um, we're not warlike people. We really aren't. We, we're kind of like kids. We're the youngest country out there. <laughs> and, and we're still growing and we're like kids. We're teenagers sometimes. But we didn't want to get involved, so they were dying and, and we thought about it, we talked about it, they debated it in Washington, they didn't want to, and uh, FDR kind of did, but he's, he wasn't supposed to want to. Um, so he finagled the Japanese, and kept finagling and finagling, and then lined up all of our ships, and lined up all of our planes, and um, the next thing you know, we're in World War II, because the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, so now we're really, now we're in the war, uh, officially, and he could say it officially, and get away with it, but we aren't, um, we weren't imperialistic. <clears throat> we didn't want. We weren't the Japanese imperial army, and they're not imperialistic now either. But we weren't like that. We we, um, we defended ourselves after Pearl Harbor, and when we built our air force, Hap Arnold did that. I, I wrote a screenplay about him, and that's a fascinating story. And we incorporated women pilots, and I wrote a screenplay about that. The women air service pilots who used to ferry the planes back and forth and tested planes and um, 
drew targets for people in the army so that they could practice their, their shooting down planes and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have a strong military. We built it up very quickly because we're a country that knows how to do those things. We're very innovative, very quick, very entrepreneurial, very um, creative, inventive. We have those capabilities. We don't always use them, but we have them. We, we put people to work quickly. We converted factories to, to be what they needed to be, to build the war machine to defend the country. If we had, did not have armed people in the United States, if we didn't have an amendment that said we could carry arms, the Japanese said that they would have come on shore. But they were actually afraid then that every American was armed and they knew that the battle would, would be useless, that we would beat them. So they didn't come on shore. They didn't, well, they tried. They did come to the Pacific um, coast, but nobody really talks about how close they got. But they could have made it all the way to the Midwest before we were ready to fight, as far as the armed forces go. Um, it had been depleted in many ways and not built up the way it should have been. And uh, our forefathers told us that if you want peace, if you want to remain sovereign, that you have to have a strong military so that other people, other countries, other um, warlords, whatever, don't attack you. You have to have a strong military. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we have people like Alan Combs who are anti-war, the old anti-war hippies from the 60s. You know, I was in the service. I was anti-war. You don't think that every Marine, sailor, soldier is not anti-war? Do you think they... They join the service so they can go to war. They join the service so that if there is a war, they serve their country. But when you're in the service, the one thing you don't want is a war. So I guess the real anti-war people are the ones in the service. Not Alan Combs, who's never served any part of this country in his life. The man is a, a total maniac. He's stupid. Um... And I really, I can't stand listening to him. Everything is George Bush's fault. Everything is, you know, what, all Republicans want to go to war? No. What happens is, like what's happening right now, we have a president who is so weak with foreign policy, <clears throat> a Democrat, a progressive, a leftist communist, who is so weak with foreign policy that by the time we finally get him out of office... Um, things will be so bad that if a Republican takes over, probably two years into his office, we're going to get attacked or, or less than two years, and we're going to have to go after them. So it'll look like the Republicans are going to war again. If you look at history, every war we get into is off a Democrat's, a Democrat's um, agenda because they do this to us from, from, from Carter to, I mean, from uh, Roosevelt yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. You've got uh, Wilson. Um, you had Kennedy, but they killed him because he just sent advisors, and then Johnson made sure we got into Vietnam. Um, Nixon got us out, even though Nixon was screwed up. <clears throat> you have um, the Kuwaiti War and the global and the uh, the Gulf War off Clinton's back because of the the baloney that Clinton was doing while he was in office, which followed Carter. And now you've got Carter on steroids, plus uh, the Communist Party in the, in, the, in the White House. So, you know, yeah, we'll probably have a war again as soon as he's out of office, because everything will have broken down to the point where people think they can attack us. They're going to test us after that. 
and then and then we'll have to do something about it. <clears throat> wow, I got blackbirds and cowbirds everywhere, so that's what you're hearing. Um, but anyway, back to Sharia and and what's going on there. These, what's happening over in the Middle East has been driven by unions in the United States. Those unions are not these wonderful little things they used to be. I remember being a kid saying, look for the union label. <sighs> Make sure it was made in America. We don't have anything. Try going to the store and finding anything that's made in America now. Good luck. Um, I mean, really, good luck. I, 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 I can't find material goods that aren't made in Taiwan or China. It's, I think it's almost impossible. We've outsourced them all. Um, so the union people that we have now are not so much uh, private sector union people as public sector, which means that they work for states or counties, municipalities, or the federal government. Obama has increased by 200,000 the number of people who work for the federal government. <clears throat> but to see the federal government, federal employees are not allowed to have um, collective bargaining rights because then you could shut down the government. That would be like taking over the Constitution. State and state employees believe that they should have those rights. That they could, but they they could shut down a state if they wanted to. Look what happened in Wisconsin. Now, what's getting me about Wisconsin is that they say um, that they're demonstrating for workers' rights, and there was actually <laughs> some person in one of the crowds there who was fighting, arguing with um, a person who was there to support Scott Walker, and and this whole little conversation went on, if you want to call it that, and the uh, the supporter, Scott Walker's supporter, ended up exposing the fact that he's an entrepreneur, he owns own, his own business. Well, what did the worker say on the other side? Oh, you're an entrepreneur, then you don't work, you don't understand. What does that mean? That small business people and, and um, people who... <laughs> who are creative about their lives, who start businesses and help other people get employed, <clears throat> don't work. Have you ever owned a business? Do you know what it's like? My father owned a restaurant. I don't think I ever saw him. Maybe Mondays, once in a while. We had steak dinners. So I like steak once in a while because I remember my dad. But the restaurant was from early in the morning to early in the morning. He got home at 2 or 3 in the morning and slept and then went back to work. And that's what owning a business and, and being an entrepreneur is all about. You work, and you don't have somebody providing you your health care and your education and your housing and your retirement and your, your extra pay and six months off and, and um, maternity leave and all these things. And so that if we have that discussion with a union boss, he'll say, well, see, that's what we got people. Well, yeah, look what you got people. It's like um, what we've done to our children. We've given them everything they asked for or wanted before they even wanted it. And then when we can't give it to them anymore, they complain or they want the better one. And they don't know how to get it themselves. They don't know how to be creative about what to do with their lives. They have no passion for what to do with their lives. I mean, really look around you. Think about your own childhood if you're over 30 or 40. You know, you had, um, not only did you play, which... Kids don't do anymore to go outside and play. Forget it. We got kids all up and down the street, and it's a beautiful day, and there's nobody outside. That doesn't make any sense to me. They're all playing video games. What are they doing? The only time they get outside down here in the south is is when they go to uh, the Mardi Gras parades, and that's because there's handouts. Every Mardi Gras parade, they throw things from the floats, so the kids want them, want to go. Um, but these union people, the same as children. 
they've been given everything. You know, they pay for some of it, you know, and they work hard. I'm not saying they don't work hard. Uh, everybody who works and believes in what they're doing works hard. But to have everything given to them, I, ha I heard a woman on the radio with John Gibson or something the other day. She's a, uh, somebody who just got a um, state job, and she said she never listened to John Gibson, but she happened to get it on Sirius XM or something, and she called him up and said she was shocked, and he, he, he said, about what? She said that she'd gotten this union job, and that they guaranteed her that, you know, if she put in, if she worked this many years, that she would get a percentage of all the pay that she's made in, in retirement, and that they, she'd have health care, and she'd have this and that and the other, and, you know, so she took the job, and then she listened to the Gibson program, and she, she was shocked because she thought that everybody got the same thing. That everybody got automatic pensions and everything was paid for. And he, he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> who, who gets their pensions paid for? You know, even people who are in Social Security had to put their money into Social Security. And then you don't get it all back. Um, but these union people in Wisconsin, they, they're like, no, we deserve this. This is our right. This is workers' rights. No, it's your union rights that you think you should have, and we as taxpayers who are either working for someone else or working for ourselves are supposed to pay it for you. Now, how spoiled rotten is that? Especially considering the trouble this country is in. I don't think these people are smart enough to know how, how dangerous our economy is. And the worse it gets, the more dangerous it becomes. I mean dangerous. This is this is when people um, send their armies to our shores because we're too weak to do anything about it. If we don't have gas, if we don't have oil, if we don't have a defense budget, if we don't have any money and we don't have anybody that cares, who gives a heck about what's going to happen in this country, then they can just come in and, and not worry about it. It's easy. Um... Maybe it's because people believe the numbers that are coming out of Washington or believe the idiots that are speaking out of Washington, the talking heads in Washington, um, that we're not that much in debt or we need to invest more. Invest more? It's called spend more. They can't find trillions of dollars that, that have already gone out of our Federal Reserve and, and our Treasury. They can. They know where it went. They know where we've sold weapons and what those weapons are being used for. They know all these things. But they spin, they lie, they do whatever, and people believe it. Go out on the street and ask somebody how much in debt we are. And they'll say, oh, 700 billion maybe, or maybe a trillion. I think I've heard trillion. If you add up all of our obligations, and if you were doing your own budget, you'd say, well, I owe on my car, my house, my student loan, um, <clears throat> my kid's education, I have credit cards that I have a certain amount on them that I owe. Those are your obligations. That's how you figure out your net worth. The net worth of the United States is minus $88 trillion. $88 trillion. 40% of the people in the United States, and more now maybe, don't pay taxes at all, so they don't pay any revenue into living here. Then you've got, those are the ones that are registered and legal. Then you probably have 10 to 15 more million who are illegal, 
who don't pay any revenue to the United States. They pay it. If they make money, they send the money back to Mexico or wherever else. Um, that's a lot of people, over 50 million people. We only have a population of 330 million, and, and a portion of that is our children who don't work. <laughs> and another portion of that are retired people who have stopped working, who have put in for 50 years of their lives a portion of their income into a Ponzi scheme, which is called Social Security, which makes nothing um, and is supposed to pay them a fixed income until they die. And uh, if first of all, you have to be able to get it. Now, when you retire, that's not so hard. If you're disabled, very difficult to try to get any of your pension from Social Security back. But <clears throat> if you see how much you've put into Social Security and look at how many years you're going to, you'd have to live another 90 years after retirement to get back what you put in. It doesn't make money. Now, besides that, Congress raided that coffer, so that money really isn't there. But you add up all of the things, all the entitlement programs that we have, all the expenditures that we're supposed to pay, all the bills that have to be paid, and it's $88 trillion. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know about you, but that would be like, in my household, owing $88 million. Now, if you owed $88 million, would you feel a little vulnerable to somebody taking over your house, your property, your, your kids, your life, your job, your whatever? I mean, I would. Our country is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to this Sharia law crap from the Koran. It's vulnerable to the Chinese, who I wouldn't worry about them too much yet because they need our consumerism, our belief in consuming products, to build their own economy, which is now number one. We're going to be number three pretty soon uh, after China and Japan, and we've helped them to build those economies, and Obama has destroyed ours. But uh, they still need us, and they can't just come here and take over everything and, and hope to live. They won't. So they know that. They need us. Uh, on the other hand, there's a lot of countries in the Middle East who don't need us. And the reason they don't need us is we don't consume any products is they don't make anything. What they have is oil. So they protect their oil. It was Henry Kissinger who made the deal, you know, with the Saudis and said, okay, we helped you find the oil in Saudi Arabia. Um, we'll buy it from you. If you become a cornerstone in the Middle East for us. Okay. So we became dependent and we made this deal. And no president after um, uh, Kissinger's reign before Nixon has been able to change that deal. I mean, I think the people of Saudi Arabia are going to rise up and our gas prices will go up to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars a gallon. And we may see a difference, um, big difference in, in what happens with oil after that. But you know what Obama wants to do is is change all that into electricity. Um, I don't know where he thinks electricity comes from, but anyway, we're going to have all these electric cars out there. There's 136,000 gas stations in America, and there's already uh, 18,000 plug-in stations from General Electric where you can plug in your car. I would love to see a winter like we've had up north this year with everybody in their electric cars stuck in blizzards, unable to move. They ran out of gas because gas was $10 a gallon, so they didn't fill it up. And they were relying on the little charge that they got from their 
from their garage outlet <clears throat> to get home from work, and they knew the electric car was a good deal because they only commute 12 miles, 15 miles, maybe 20 at the most, and you can get 40 miles on a charge. So if you, you know, you charge it at work and you, you should be able to go 40 miles and get home fine, unless you're stuck in a snowstorm for two hours with the car running because it's minus 40 degrees. Uh, I don't know where you're going to plug your car in in the middle of a highway, but it should be real interesting to, to watch what happens. And I, I would like Obama to be in the first one and all of his little people, his little environmentalists, to be in those cars. Now, yeah, are they interesting? They think it's innovative? What would be more innovative is if it was solar, if they had solar panels on the roofs and then it was constantly charged by the sun and the sun wouldn't have to be out during a blizzard. <clears throat> the sun is out. It's just that you can't see it because of the snow. Um, get innovative that way. Take the charge from our natural resources around us. But we should still be drilling for oil, shouldn't we? Well, no. We have to support the Muslim nations. And that's where all this this uh, Sharia Quran stuff uh, tolerance comes from. Um, we need all of our government agencies and organizations have to stop out their outreach to Muslim communities through the Muslim Brotherhood fronts because their mission is to destroy our country from within. Um, when we do things like get rid of NASA and tell them to reach out to the Muslim Brotherhood, we're helping them to do this. And it doesn't help our Muslims in this country who are not jihadists to help our government either because we're pushing the Brotherhood more than we're pushing them. If we wanted to keep with Article 6 of the Constitution, we'd have to, we should be extending these bans that are currently in effect that bar members of hate groups like the Ku Klux Klan from holding positions of trust in federal, state, or local governments or the armed forces. Instead, we have a president who's appointing people who are part of Hezbollah and Hamas to the Department of Defense and the Homeland Security. What is that about? Um, Sharia compliant finance, the establishment or promotion in public places or public funds and facilities that, you know, that give preferential treatment, they're incompatible with the Constitution. Sedition is prohibited by law in the United States. Imams and mosques are being used to advocate Sharia in America that are promoting seditious activity. And they should, they should, they should be stopped. That's sedition. I don't, you know, even our textbooks, our educational systems, we have Islamic schools all over the country, but they're promoting Sharia. Sharia is the overtaking of the Constitution. They're getting grants from the federal government, which is our taxpayer dollars, to help them do that. Um, we have immigration practices that are that are f more favorable to Muslim immigrants than they are to Italians or Germans or, uh, you know, I don't know, French. I don't know. If you're coming from a Muslim country and you are Muslim, you, you'll get in line first. Well, next to the Mexicans, you don't even have to get in line. We have states all over the country now who are going to, uh, Democratic governors who, because the DREAM Act didn't pass, are going to now allow illegals to go to school for free. Why they use that word for free, I don't know, because it means that somebody else is going to pay for it. But since the Dream, they couldn't get the DREAM Act through legislatively on a, in a democratic republic, then they'll use their powers, if they can, to make their states um, 
compliant or, I don't know, supportive of illegal immigrants going to college for free, for nothing, because it's not their fault. It's not their fault. You know, I didn't go to college for free, and I wasn't illegal. It wasn't my fault. I had to, I had to pay my way through college, and if I couldn't, I didn't go. I had to wait. If I couldn't get a loan, I couldn't go. If I wasn't able to pay back the loan, I couldn't get anything else, like a car or a house. Um, I was in the military, so I got the GI Bill, which is a big deal. I think it paid for $1,000 of my education. Um, but, you know, we're supposed to get everything for free because that's what democratic governments believe in. If you get desperate enough, you'll come to us and say, give, give me help. They want to be like God. You know, you get desperate enough, you finally get on your knees and ask for help which is not what you should be doing, but that's what people do. That's We're a, a spoiled society. I have people telling me now how upset they are and that, you know, they, they keep praying and praying. I said, what are you praying for? Oh, I want peace and I want this and I want that. I said, be careful what you pray for. You were told how to pray. You know, <clears throat> you pray the Lord's Prayer. Just give us every day our daily bread. Forgive anything we've done to trespass or cross anyone else's um, lives in the wrong way. Don't lead us into temptation, please, because we will fall into it. And if we do fall into it, forgive us again. Deliver us from that evil that temptation has brought us to. Because you've got the power to do that. Because you are God. That's basically what you're asking for. He already knows everything you're doing and what you're going to do. So, you know, it, if you're a parent, you understand this. When you have kids, you already know what they're going to do. And you know they're going to get in trouble. You know that when they get in trouble, what you want them to do is come to you. You also know that you can only tell them so many times and then you have to let them fall. You have to let them fail. You have to let them get into the trouble and, and pay the consequences. Um, God is a big parent. He, you know, and Mother Mary's out there too. They're parents. And we're all the kids. And the kids are always in trouble. They're always doing something they're not supposed to do. We have people who don't want us to have the Ten Commandments anywhere visible. Now, the Ten Commandments, there's four different versions of those. You know, the Judeo-Christian ones and um, the Jewish Ten Commandments. And I mean, there's actually more versions than that if you go to Native America and other places. But the same, it's the same ten rules, basically. They're just in different order. Um, and those are the only rules that we have to follow. If you have kids, or you're going to have kids, you're going to give them rules. It might be ten, might be twelve, might be three. But you just want them to follow those rules. Otherwise, they're free to do everything else, you know? Like if they, you have teenagers. When I have teenagers, it's like, okay, here's the rules. Your room is your responsibility. You have chores around the house that you have to do because you're part of the household. Um... If you want extra things and you're old enough to work, you need to get a part-time job. And yes, you can go to school at the same time. You also have the job of performing in school. That means learning everything you can learn to the best of your ability, so that, and you will be graded on that. Um, you, if As far as your social life goes, if you want balance and you have a social life, there's a certain time that you will be home. Uh, there's certain things that you won't do when you are out socializing. You won't drink. You won't use drugs. Um, 
And those are the extra rules on top of the Ten Commandments of not stealing, cheating, lying, killing, all those things. But you give your kids rules. Well, God gave us rules. He said, don't do these things. Honor me and honor your parents. Um, don't build images. Those aren't. That's not who I am. You know, don't build icons of me. Make sure that you save a day to think about that, to remember who I am. And uh, otherwise, you're free to do everything else. Go love each other. Go, you know, propagate the earth and enjoy. Go have a good time. Go play. Go be the inner child that, that you've always, that you always have with you. And <clears throat> we don't do that, do we? <laughs> Oh, God. We learn how to lie so early. And if you are following the Koran, you're told it's okay. Uh, if you follow this administration, they are the role model of lying. They lie about everything. They get so caught up in their lies, they don't even know that they, they don't know how to get out of them anymore. There's no way to untwist everything that has happened with this administration or with past presidents either. I don't think Bush lied a lot. I think that he, as a born-again Christian, he... He um, revered God and the commandments enough to try not to lie, but of course, then everybody hated him because he told the truth. So the truth always doesn't set you free. Um, yes, it does. Don't believe that. But we need to learn again how to talk to God, how to stop this, this Sharia stuff from happening in our country, how to um, respect our country again, get off this, this kick from the 60s, this anti-war stuff, and spitting on veterans and booing them at Columbia University. There's not a veteran out there who wished that there was never a war. You try putting on a uniform and taking an oath to the Constitution, to your country, and then going someplace and knowing that somebody, some group of people that you've never seen, never met, you don't know them at all, you're in a country you've never been to, and you jump off a helicopter or a transport plane and uh, they're going to kill you. And see how you feel. See if you have the guts and the courage. You think Alan Combs has the guts and the courage? You know what gives our military the guts and the courage besides their training, of course, so you feel confident in what you're doing and competent? Um, part of it is that you'll notice that most people in the military believe in God. <laughs> Not Allah, where they'll you know, they can't wait for the, the 32 virgins or the 72 virgins in heaven. They believe in God to protect them because they're, God's with them on their side because they're doing the right thing. And uh, a lot of them come home broken and, or limbless or worse, disfigured. Uh, and, and if you talk to them and say, do you wish you never went? They'd say, of course you don't want war. Of course you don't want to be disfigured or, or dismembered or whatever. But if it's going to make a difference and, then, and it stops somebody like Gaddafi or somebody like Saddam Hussein or Al-Qaeda and the Taliban from killing women, children, from massacring people, from using weapons of mass destruction to attack other places... To, from aiming missiles at countries that aren't aiming missiles back. Um, if it's going to stop that, if it's going to protect our Constitution from anybody coming across our borders, then yeah, I'll put on the uniform and I'll go back and I'll do it again, knowing full well that I'll be dismembered or disfigured. But only because 
of the love that they have for their country and their God. Uh, Alan Combs can go to hell. Him and all the people who believe like him. Uh, we've got a push right now in Congress to get us out of Afghanistan as quickly as possible. Well, we shouldn't have been there this long. That was all mishandled, no doubt about it. Should we have not gone there at all? If somebody attacks you, if somebody comes onto your property for the 50th time and blows up your children, what would you do? Would you sit back and say, well, maybe we'll meet for tea and we'll talk about it? Now, some Christians out there will say, yes, you forgive them immediately. Well, let, let it happen to your children first and then, then come and talk to me. But you're going to retaliate. We, we were born in war. This whole country was born in war. My goodness, all the tribes from millions of years ago are still fighting because there's good and evil, yin and yang. There's an imbalance always. We are never totally imbalanced in this, in this globe. We never will be. Not under the new world order that they're trying to push. Um, and you better learn about that. You better learn about Agenda 21, the new world order, where our money is going, why it's going there, why the Middle East is so important to the center of all of this. Um, learn about what's happening with this new world order. You've heard about it from George Bush Sr. You heard about it before that. You heard about it since then. Clintons are very much involved in this very much involved in this. That's why they're all over the globe, and that's why Hillary became Secretary of State. That's why they don't know what they're doing in relationship to foreign policy, because they're too busy building the new world order. So they forget about the factions of people who say, I don't want this, I want freedom. I don't want this, I want to take over the world and make it all Sharia. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on that people need to learn. Anyway, okay, I've got people coming out. Lori's teaching a, a reflexology class. I'll change the page on, on the website so that everybody knows when those classes are from now on. She couldn't get that together for me before today. Um, but as long as we're talking about gas prices and Sharia law and what's going on in the Middle East, know that if uh, if prices go way up and, and there's there's more emergencies out there that your gas generator is not going to do you any good because you won't be able to afford it. So go on our website, click on the solar generator, and get $600 off. Um, if the water it becomes more contaminated than it is now, you're going to see more disease. Go on our website, click on water, and learn all about it. Get a big discount by going to the Healthy Water Man. Um, if you haven't done food storage, you can go to the same place where you click the generator and you can um, get the survival pack. It's, it's dried food, but we do regular storage here. Every time we buy a can or a box of this or that or the other, we buy two and then we rotate them to make sure that they don't go out of, um, they don't expire. But make sure that you have enough food and water for several months of survival. Um, make sure that you have good shelter. And make sure that your friends and your family know that if they haven't done it, they need to get to you in case communications go down or uh, and or there's no gasoline to get on a plane or a car uh, in a car and get to you that you have to have a, a meeting place so that you can get to them so that they can learn how to survive with you or whatever is going to have to happen. Just know that you know we're not we're not as safe here as everybody thinks we are. We shouldn't be complacent like most people are. We definitely should be more educated than I've seen most people are because of the push for Islamic law in our country to take over our Constitution, 
the push by communists and socialists to take over the Constitution. Elena Kagan, you know, the new um, uh, Supreme Court Justice, one of, them, one of the two that Obama appointed, uh, believes in Sharia law. What an idiot. I don't think she understands what happens to women. But what, what, what um, Muslims will do who believe in Sharia law, especially in the United States, is they'll put women in positions of power like <clears throat> Hillary. They'll allow that to happen. Like Kagan, they'll allow that to happen. So that women believe that it's okay and, and everybody else says, see, it's not that bad. They don't have to cover their heads in the United States. The law's not being enforced here. Yet. Yet. <laughs> I think you all ought to go to Washington and listen to this idiot on the, in March. The Ayman who's going to tell you why it's important to have Sharia law. It takes care of everything. Sharia law is an a religion. It means it tells you how to dress, what to eat, where to go, when you can go, when you can't go, who can go, who should do what when they do go. Um, and that doesn't mean, oh, then they'll be, I won't have to worry about it anymore. They'll take care of everything. They're not going to give you anything. They're just going to tell you what you can't do. So, um, anyway, get an education, okay? Go to earthwalk-usa.com. Earthwalk, one word, dash USA. If you don't remember USA, don't listen to me. That's my country. Dot uh, com, and click on all the things you need to click on. Um, find me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I'll be back in a week or so, and we'll talk a little bit more about how to talk to God instead of an Iman. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Happy Mardi Gras. Uh, and happy spring, because it's coming. The changes are coming. Believe. Have faith.